Welcome to Growing Your Financial Advisory Practice Podcast by Snap Projections, episode 19. I'm your host, Pavel Berminski, and my goal is to interview experts to provide you with insights, strategies, and actionable tactics that you can start applying to grow your financial advisory practice today. For more information, head over to snapprojections.com slash podcast. Now, let's introduce today's featured guest. Today's guest is Trevor Van Nest. Trevor is a certified financial planner, professional money coach, and the founder and owner of Niagara Region Money Coaches. Trevor has won several awards for his unique education-based approach to financial planning, including professional services, business of the year for new market. His client satisfaction rating over the past eight years has averaged 9.8 out of 10. And I'd like to get back to that later. Before coming, uh, becoming a money coach, Trevor spent 20 years at American Express, eight of those years as vice president of marketing. He's been married for 27 years to his wife, Anita, the pastor at Stamford Presbyterian Church in Niagara Falls. And together they have three grown children. Outside of professional work and family life, Trevor has enjoyed success as a middle distance track runner, having been ranked internationally for the 1500 meter distance as a 19 year old and as a 44 year old. So Trevor, welcome to the show. Thank you, Pavel. Great to be here. All right, Trevor, I'm super excited to have you uh, on today. So let's get this going. So let's start with uh, telling me a little bit about your firm. So tell me, what exactly do you do and who do you typically serve? So I uh, own and uh, founded Niagara Region Money Coaches back in 2014, York Region Money Coaches in 2010. So we moved a few years back. Uh, As a money coaching organization, I focus my time and attention on meeting client needs, which range from helping people get rid of debt, helping them feel better about their financial future, understanding retirement, educating them on how to invest better, uh, really all aspects of the financial plan. I'm doing uh, life insurance assessments. We talk about sudden money, legacy planning, kids and money. Uh, we really don't leave any turn unstoned when it comes to helping people feel, feel better about their financial future, helping them feel a level of financial peace, and answering the needs that are in front of them. Excellent. So it sounds like you, you can provide a lot of services and you're touching a lot of different aspects. So is there a particular maybe uh, a segment of people that you focus on, like, for example, pre-retirement, retirement segment, uh, or you can really help anybody and you don't have a specific focus? I, I have never had a target market, which is embarrassing as a marketing professional. <laughs> uh, although I'll say this, I uh, feel better now than I ever have about not having a target market. I think I'm a better money coach because I don't have a segment that I focus on. I think I might get bored if all I did was, you know, wealthy pre-retirees. So I am talking to teenagers. I am talking to 87-year-olds. I'm speaking with pre-retirees. I just finished up with clients 14.2 million in net worth. I did a session for 60 teenagers the other night. Uh, So I love the diversity of my clients and the people who I get to meet. And I think I'm actually uh, more able to help people because I understand every snack bracket than perhaps if I only focused on, on a particular segment. This is very interesting. So we'll come back to the, the, the personas and target market. But I, um, I want to know a little bit more about your background. So how a VP of marketing at American Express, which is not a small company, becomes a money coach, right? So how, what made you really start a planning, uh, planning business? What made you to actually start doing this? Yeah, it's, a, it's a, actually kind of an interesting story. I, you know, as, as vice president for several years at MX, I was head of product development, customer acquisition, customer retention, all of our loyalty programs. Um, I really launched the uh, 
consumer bank with American Express uh, back in the late 90s. So I had a ton of experience in financial services, obviously. But uh, one day I was, you know, I did a lot of call listening and I was in our credit department listening to outbound calls to high balance customers. What that means is people who owed American Express more than $50,000. And I'm listening to these outbound calls. And there was one particular call. I remember it like it was yesterday. The, the call went out as an outbound dialer. The, we reached this farmhouse. The lady answers, we have to talk to her husband, who's the basic card member. And I'm just listening. The credit rep is going through the script. And she transfers us out to uh, her husband, who is literally in the field. We hear him power down his tractor. He takes the call. And uh, and the credit rep is going through the, the script. You know, we, we need a payment from you today. You owe us $60,000. You know, do you have $500? Well, no. You know, farm rich, cash poor. And, uh, and the script went on. And my heart honestly just went out to this literal farmer in the field out west who was unable to even make a small payment against this debt that was owing. And I thought sitting there with the headphones on, what can I do to help the farmer in the field? And that was my epiphany, I guess, if I could say so, uh, that led me within two months to leaving American Express, uh, launching York Region Money Coaches, beginning my certified financial planning designation, and trying to imagine uh, this brand new business that was very unique at the time. In, in York Region, I was the only money coach uh, during my four years. Region, So I was really looking to build out and prove a business model that was incredibly unique at the time. Absolutely. This is a fascinating story. Actually, I didn't know, the, know about it. So, so this is, wow, two months. Two months, basically, this was basically, there was a trigger. And within two months, he decided, I, I want to actually help people like this farmer, right? I want to do something. So, um, and then you basically launched a uh, um, fee-for-service model, which is, which is hard to pull off. So, so let's, uh, let's talk about it a little bit because I have huge admiration for people who actually make, you know, uh, the, the, those hard things work. So, so how did you structure your business in a way that you can actually provide uh, a lot of value uh, to, to those people who typically don't have maybe a lot of money, but at the same time actually run a profitable business and, and at the same time make it at the price point that is for affordable to consumers? So I'm going to dig into some feedback and advice I give a lot of small business clients which is you better believe in what you're doing. <laughs> you're going to sink more time and energy into uh, creating a case for your business than maybe anything else you did in your whole life. And so I built a very unique value proposition that I thought and really felt and was convinced would resonate with Canadians. I was well aware of the lack of financial literacy in this country. I was well aware of how the industry works, which is a highly product-focused uh, process. I uh, had many friends and, and relatives who've been burned by the industry in some way, shape, or form over the years. And I decided to create something that was the opposite. I saw people struggling with debt. I heard about millionaires who weren't sure who to trust. I saw all kinds of Jones's factor things going on with people trying to keep up with their neighbors and going into debt to try to impress people they don't even know. And so we've got this toxic combination of stuffitis and Costco effect and consumerism tagged along with banks who are brilliant at selling debt a financial industry that really has very little to do with helping people and educating people. 
And so from this, uh, the only result for me was to become a money coach and help people uh, achieve a level of financial peace that they deserve to tell them they don't need to earn more, they just need to spend smarter, to invest smarter, to have the right types and amounts of insurance in place, and honestly do things that are in their best interest. And the more I thought through what I wanted to do, the result just kept coming back to flat fee financial coaching, which in 2010 was huge in the US, hundreds of money coaches and flat fee planners, of course. And the business model was even stronger in Canada, not because people were asking for it. Believe me, they weren't. Um, but because there was a very defined need. And I felt I could fill that need. So what changed? So you were saying that there was a need, but people were not asking for it. Why they were not asking for it? Because they were not sure what they can get? Or um, why Why this was uh, initially that the need was kind of latent? I mean, to you, it was obvious because you were sort of an insider, right? You knew what was going on. But why people were, were not asking for it? Because they didn't know it existed. And in many respects, and in many geographies, it didn't exist. Uh, so if you were looking for help, from a financial standpoint, you would walk into your bank. Uh, so within the industry, I'm well aware of what's going on in banks. It's not flat fee guidance, right? It's a lot of product selling. I know how bank employees are bonus. We all within the industry understand how banks make money. And it's not by helping people get rid of debt and spend the hours understanding root causes and, uh, and behavioral challenges that are uh, impacting marriages and health conditions and how people feel about themselves. So I had to create demand for a product that people weren't aware of. It wasn't like I was building a, um, a brand from scratch. I was literally building an industry from scratch, which has its own challenges. Uh, as a marketing professional, it was probably my biggest challenge that I've ever taken on. And I launched the Centurion card in a recession. So there were some interesting uh, challenges in simply letting people know that a money coach existed, which meant spending quite a bit of money uh, just building up the industry. And then as soon as people go, wait a second, money coaching, oh, Google it, bam, there's York Region Money Coaches. So how did you do it? How did you get discovered by, by your clients or prospects initially? So it started with a fairly intensive marketing mix, right? Uh, tons of print advertising, lots of online I was blogging a ton. I was doing radio, SEO, business seminars, all kinds of free lunch and learns, standing up at chamber events, finding every forum I could, right? Becoming the extrovert to, uh, to really get the message out. And the more people heard about what I was doing and the better I got at my elevator speech, the more people understood what it was that I was doing and that there was value perhaps in the flat fee I was charging to go and figure out what's required to achieve their financial goals. Okay, so it was. I'm sure it was hard initially because you had to basically sort of create this industry uh, initially. And education, I mean, it takes a lot of effort, a lot of resources. And you're, you're doing this as a very small organization. I will tell you, Pavel, my first year, I had seven clients. Seven clients. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. it, was, it, was a, um, it was a business based on faith, it was a business based on a value proposition I never lost faith in. Mm -hmm. um, I have an incredibly supportive family and wife. We had the financial resources to withstand two, three years of payback. 
and I, I, and I was very busy pumping through my CFP exams to prepare for a full-on once I was done my education. So it was hard initially, but right now you're at a point that you're pretty much at full capacity. We were talking a little earlier, right? So you have a lot more clients. You probably have more clients that you can handle right now. So, uh, so let's talk about maybe some of the operations. So can you maybe break us the, break, break the process? How do you basically advise people? How do you, you know, what is the first meeting for you? What is the second meeting? How do you do that? So the first meeting is a free, no obligation consultation. It takes about 45 minutes to an hour. I do have my clients fill out an introductory form before that meeting. So I'm well prepared for what their goals are and what their financial position looks like. We spend some time going through that introductory form so I can really hear them tell me how they feel, uh, what they're looking for, what their goals are everything from housing to investments. You know, I ask questions like, what do they think they're paying for in fees with their investments and uh, asset allocations? So some, some basic questions that helps me understand their financial literacy, right? Because I'm assessing people all the way through from the first contact until the last so I can provide the best and most customized advice I can. Um, I spend some time going through my background, qualifications, education, and that sort of thing so people can understand where I'm coming from. And together we go through a two-page letter of engagement, which again shares the number of meetings, uh, my one flat fee, how that's charged, uh, uh, what they get for the fee that's charged, and kind of all the information they need to make an informed decision. Um, Again, perhaps opposite of the industry, I never let anyone make a decision in that meeting. I know many of my friends who are Certified financial planners are rushing to signatures, and I don't actually permit people to sign in that meeting. I can get people quite excited about their financial future, and uh, and I might be a great fit for some. But I also, uh, you know, money coaching one hundred and one need them to sleep on a big money decision. I'm a big money decision, and I don't want regrets later. So I sometimes literally force people to to leave and sleep and think and and talk to others and ensure there's a fit before we decide to move forward. So I'm sure this kind of leads to interesting conversations when people are ready to go. They know about you. You have a great marketing website. And I really enjoy this kind of the, uh, the, 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 uh, the podcast minutes, for example, that you have. That's amazing marketing. And so they want to go ahead, but you still push them out. You say that, you know, think about it. Make sure this is what you want to do, right? And, and the, really the reason for this is like they can think about it, right? I mean, of course, when you're saying, you know, think about it, they're probably coming back even more, right? I mean, I have a hundred stories just on that alone. I've had people call me from the parking lot. I've had people uh, literally before they drive away saying, you know, we just had a snooze. I've had um, people who uh, are somewhat annoyed, right? They, they've driven three hours to see me and they want to move ahead and they don't want to sign and send a letter engagement later. But I do think they respect my process and what I'm trying to do. And I don't want people to feel any pressure whatsoever in that introductory meeting and so, again, that's some, something that I have held to over the years, and um, I sleep better because of it. Perfect. So what happens later? So you have, uh, uh, once they sign the letter of engagement, what is the structure there? Does it really depend on the engagement, or, or typically the structures that, that follows is uh, the same? The structure is the same for all. Uh, it's three meetings uh, following that introductory meeting. So we go into a, what I call a two-hour deep dive meeting. Uh, that's the next meeting. It's a ton of data gathering. It's a lot of conversation. It's really starting that education process. Uh, I'm creating very customized agendas to meet the needs of the clients in front of me. And you can imagine how diverse those agendas are based on how diverse my client set is. But uh, 
but you know, I'm sending agendas prior to every meeting. I'm sending them lots of files and things to read and watch after each meeting, task lists to do between meetings. We, after that two hour meeting, we get two more 90 minute meetings to really complete the engagement. So over those six hours, over about four months, we're covering all aspects of the financial plan, uh, way beyond typically the reason that they want to meet me in the first place. But as a certified financial planner, I need to know that they are fully looked after. Um, Again, we are closing some education gaps. We're discussing investing at length. Uh, We're talking about their kids or grandkids. Sometimes there's economic dependence with 22-year-olds. You know, I, again, I go there and, uh, and I know my clients appreciate it because my client ratings are, uh, are really strong. Yes, I want to talk about it, but not yet. <laughs> uh, so, uh, okay. So would you mind maybe sharing even some, some of, the, of the pricing that you have uh, for the engagement? Yep. So it's a fairly simple pricing scheme. I, tr- I charge uh, between $1,200 and $1,800 for a full engagement. And that is the full range. I don't charge more or less. And there's never any nickeling or diming of any kind. I, I don't charge extra for extra time. It's really unlimited access to me over those four months. So it's a fairly intensive engagement. It includes emails and phone calls and our six hours together and the eight to 10 hours I put in the background to prepare uh, customized content. So that fee I know is far less than others um, within the industry. I, I fully recognize I'm charging less than most. And I do that for a number of reasons. Um, first of all, I don't want to price myself out of a market that really needs my help. If we think about who the underserved are in this industry in Canada, it is those with less than 100000 in net worth. Um, many of my clients have less than 100000 net worth. Some have negative net worth. So I am dealing with people who often only have a bankruptcy trustee who might be able to be in a position to help. And we know how bankruptcy trustees make money. They make money selling consumer proposals and bankruptcies. So I actually last week, I was talking to a couple who went to a debt counselor, a not-for-profit, who did a really shoddy job at helping them um, understand where their money was going and to build a budget. Um, And what they did when finding out that they couldn't figure out their money was um, hand them off to a bankruptcy trustee. Now, what this is, is an example of the equivalent of a puppy farm in the debt industry, right? Lead generators who only make money by lead generating for trustee. So this is happening in Canada. Very few places to go for people who are highly indebted, who are making enough. They just need to get some customized guidance to help them figure out their budget. On the high end, of course, we're dealing with a very different client set. People who might laugh at my fee because I'm a drop in their bucket. Um, And they don't laugh at my fee because wealthy people have very high standards for, for value, right? So they're looking for someone who is highly knowledgeable, educated, has helped others in their space, who can be trusted, who won't sell them things, who, um, are simply going to provide that customized guidance they're looking for. Uh, They're called big fish in the industry, and sharks are circling constantly around these people. Um, I'm a breath of fresh air for many of them because I don't want a piece of their action. I'm not going to sell them anything. I want to educate them and help them make better choices um, for their money, and they get many, many multiples of value from the fee that I charge. So, so my, my range is tight. I give myself a reasonable hourly rate. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, my primary objective with this company is not to make as much money as I can. It is to help 
people. That really is the reason I'm doing this. And so that is, and, and partly describes some of uh, my business model, which is uh, meeting the needs in front of me and charging a reasonable rate for the service that I offer. Absolutely. And in terms of, in terms of the operations, um, you have the, the engagement typically takes about four months. How many clients typically you can handle at one point? I'm really interested in, in seeing like, what is really your capacity, right? Because like it's time intensive business. So uh, how many clients at a time you can actually help? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't really focus on that number at all. I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to guess for you just because you're asking the question. I'm working typically with anywhere from 60 to 90 clients at a time. Uh-huh. Um, I've got many clients on retainer. Um, that's a $400 annual fee, which includes a 90-minute annual get-together and monthly email touch points, which uh, allows for some flexibility on my on the time front. But uh you know, I don't, I don't really focus on like how much room I have for how many more clients. Like it's not really a numbers game for me. I'm looking at my calendar. I'm making sure there's room for me to prepare for meetings and be fully present during meetings and do my follow-ups. And, um, if there's room to sneak in two introductory meetings this Friday, then I'll, I'll sneak them in. And, uh, um, you know, I'm booking out a few weeks and sometimes a couple of months, but, uh, no one seems to complain that I'm busy. For sure. And you know what? I'm asking not from the perspective of making this business as efficient as, as, as possible because, I mean, clearly there's a huge component of passion when you were doing this and, and, and really a mission for you. But, you know, sometimes, for example, new people want to join the industry, right? They're looking at different options and looking for service model. And it's, it's hard to pull it off. So that's why I'm just trying to understand. Uh, and, and, and so we can maybe help them understand how this business works. So um, let's go to those uh, very high client satisfaction ratings. And of course, I'm not surprised because, you know, the, a lot of passion, a lot of, you know, you're focusing on value. Your fees are really, uh, really affordable to a lot of, uh, a lot of people. Um, and uh, so your ratings over last year, uh, eight years average, you know, 9.8 out of 10. I mean, like that's pretty much 100%. So, so, um, uh, but I'm, I'm, I know that in terms of the operations, it's, it's, I mean, it might be hard when you're working with 60 to 90 people. It might be hard to, you know, you may miss an email, right? This can actually maybe impact client satisfaction. So how do you, how do you keep yourself organized? How, how do you keep and maintain this client satisfaction at this incredible level? That's, that's really huge achievement. Yeah, so I am proud of that number. Um, I do ask every client I've worked with since 2010 to um, fill out this survey for me. It's five questions, fairly simple. A big part of my business is about listening and asking. The only way I can improve is if I'm asking for feedback. And so I do that for every single client. Um, That average client rating, 9.77, it doesn't move around very much. Uh, Typically, when I look back, 45 out of my last 50 have given me a 10 out of 10. Um, I am doing my best to meet the needs in front of me. I am uh, creating customized agendas that I believe people need to um, know. Uh, Sometimes, again, I'm adding uh, agenda items that they didn't necessarily ask for. But uh, again, I've gotten quite um, good at at, uh, assessing what I think people need to hear. Um, I ask questions like, were their original expectations met? How would they rate my fee in terms of value? Uh, What is the quality of my communications? Uh, has the relationship with money changed? Uh, and would you recommend 
me to a friend. And so um, that last rating, uh, I know, is an important one. And uh, again, I'm working very hard to never miss an email, to never miss a touch point, get back to people quickly. Um, so my, some of my days are extremely long, um, but I love what I do and I love helping people. And this is the space that I think I've been called to help people, um, which is a very personal space, right? I mean, it's amazing how every day I will say I read something, hear something, experience something that confirms what I'm doing is meaningful. Today's example was in the Globe and Mail. And Rob Carrick wrote, uh, quoting Seymour Consulting Financial Health Index, that money worries keep 45% of people up at night. Not surprised. 45% of people are awake at night because of their financial stress. So how is this unbelievably ignored social problem not being addressed? You know, we have hundreds and hundreds of financial institutions doing all kinds of wonderful and sometimes wacky things. And yet, debt remains the number one worry for Canadians. Uh, There is no correlation between income and stress. In fact, some of my more stressful clients are making a lot more than some of my less stressed clients. We know the happiness index peaks around 90,000. And so we have an interesting dilemma for many, many Canadian households where Incomes might be two, three, four, five hundred thousand, and there is a high degree of stress because they're spending more than that. They're trying to keep up with their high income colleagues and they don't know how they're going to pay for their trip next month. Banks are selling debt in creative ways, and every retailer wants to upsize you. So again, we come back to the reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing. I think I could literally help every single person walking down the sidewalk right now feel better about their personal finances. Wonderful. So now the question really is, this is a good setup for uh, for the question, since you understand the industry so well, and you've been in the industry for, for a long time, and now you're doing for service, you know, how this industry is going to evolve, like just in Canada, because Canada is actually so much different from the US, right? But I mean, a lot of issues, uh, I mean, you called financial, lack of financial literacy, maybe the social problem. And I agree with that. I think, I mean, the, the, the real estate markets are elevated, especially when Vancouver, Toronto markets, uh, you know, uh, people, uh, you know, corporations pay less right now, right? Um, then we have low interest rates. Uh, you know, people are stressed. Uh, there is a lot of factors that sort of uh, play into it. And, you know, the, the, the financial services industry is changing as well, right? The investment fees have been largely commoditized, right? Uh, and so so, so the, the, the fees are going down. So what do you think what's going to happen over the next, I don't know, three, five years? Like, are we going to have more people who do fee-for-service? What, what do you think? Where we're headed here in Canada? I think the evolution will be slow. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about the power of the financial industry in Canada and how slow this industry has been at embracing low-cost options like exchange-traded funds and robo-advisors, um, still very, very small percentage of, of total products sold. You know, when I moved to ETFs personally in the year 2000, You know, my brother and I are up north trying to poke holes at ETFs, and we couldn't. (laughs) There was no reason not to move to ETFs from our lousy deferred sales charge mutual funds. Um, 
charging, you know, two and a half percent management expense ratios. And, and who would have thought 18 years later, I'm teaching really smart, educated people about ETFs who've never heard of ETFs and are paying 10000 a year in fees without knowing it. So you can say, you know, the industry is moving and CRM2 and, you know, some regulatory change to force a little bit more transparency. But um, this is not a space that gains a lot of attention in our schools. You know, there's a reason why financial literacy is so poor in Canada. Uh, there is no high school course that people have to take to understand how to manage and eliminate debt, how to invest well, how much they should be putting aside for retirement, right? This is deduced by smart people who are often um, graduates and, and university graduates uh, simply by talking to their friends and having a conversation with their parents, uh, often people who don't know what they're doing. So um, there's, a, there's a forced uh, reliance on an industry who make and sell products that are better for them than the buyer, right? So what's worst for the seller is better for the for the buyer. And so we have this odd industry where 99% of financial planners are only paid if you buy the pills from them at the end of the meeting, Right where the grocer has a bunch of black bananas and is only and is able to sell them by telling people that, that they're lucky. Um, so there's a reliance on the trust factor that doesn't make sense to me, um, but people don't have a choice. And that's, again, the gap I was trying to fill in launching a money coaching organization was, you know what? You don't even have to know me. You don't even have to trust me. If you believe in an education-based approach, um, I'm not going to touch your money or sell you products. I'm going to tell you exactly what I think you need to hear. And so as much as I thought in 2010 that this was the business model of the future, and by 2020, half of all certified financial planners would be flat fee, um, that has not happened. I have many friends who are certified financial planners who really question what I'm doing and really hammer at, like, how do people pay you? I had a, I had a financial planner tell me, Trevor, no one would pay me to do what I do. I'm so surprised. I'm just, I, I'm shocked. And that, that's, that's, an, that's an embarrassing comment if you think about it, because I know he makes lots of money, right? Selling products, uh, many of his clients maybe don't even know how he's paid. Uh, and he doesn't think that the value he provides is value that people would actually pay out of pocket for. So I know people will pay out of pocket for flat fee advice. Um, and so I'm proving a business model every single day. Uh, and, and saying that, I know I have a unique skill set that helps me do what I do quite well. I've got that marketing background. I think I do a good job in presenting what I do for people and how what I do can improve their position. Um, and more so than anything else, I try to deliver amazing content and, and customized advice. And, and it's because I have so many happy clients that they're now referring me to all of their friends and family and colleagues that I am a busy boy. Absolutely. I mean, this, this business model has been proven. And uh, I mean, you've, you're, you're a clear example of that. And your marketing is excellent, by the way. I, I really like how you position your services. I appreciate that. Thank you. 
So, um, but let's go back to products because in terms of you know fee for service, there's always this question. I wanted to get your take on this question. So, um, how do you help people actually implement the plan? When if you don't sell products, don't sell, for example, investment insurance products, and they need those products, uh, how do you make it happen for them? How do you advise them? Do you give them different options, or do you actually refer them to people sometimes? Sometimes, uh, how how do how do you actually make it work so they have this wonderful plan and they can actually implement it and, and it becomes reality for them? I, I will suggest that process and theory and education are as important as execution. So I don't start by saying to people, I think you should have three ETFs. I think you should be with a robo-advisor. I start by talking about active investing and passive investing. I help them understand what the broad market indices have done over the last 30 years. I help them understand the fees that are being charged and the impact on their long-term return. Uh, from those fees. And so taking an education approach, uh, and I call it an education towards empowerment approach, is one that really resonates because I'm closing gaps, right? Someone might know what an RSP is, but they don't know what a tax-free savings account. No one actually sat them down and said, this is what a TFSA is for. This is how it works. This is your lifetime contribution limit. If you take money out in September, you get that contribution room back in January. So because I'm taking this education approach, by the time we get to execution, Mm -hmm. and of course, I'm assessing my clients all the way through the engagement. So by the time we get to execution, which is critical, right? It's not enough to know the theory and feel educated. You better know how to implement it. Um, By the time we get there, um, I know whether they're a DIYer right? Whether they should be a do-it-yourselfer, whether robo-advisor might work better for them, or whether they should be talking with a flat fee planner who actually touches money, which I don't. So, of course, I have an amazing network of people in both York region and now Niagara region who do touch money, who do sell product, who do build ETF portfolios or um, index fund portfolios at a flat fee that's very transparent again. I've got amazing lawyers and accountants and marriage counselors. You name it, I have an amazing professional network who uh, I receive zero compensation from. So this is really important. I have surrounded myself with some amazing professionals. I do not benefit from the work that they do. I never receive any kickbacks of any kind from a network. So again, in an introductory meeting, I can tell my clients with confidence that the only money I receive is coming directly from them, which is, which ensures complete objectivity, no bias and transparency that they're looking for, right? People see me because of those things. So I can't deviate from those promises. Wonderful. Very transparent. Very good. So I know you're super excited about your business. I mean, I can clearly see that in your face and uh, hear it in your voice. So, uh, but is there any projects uh, yeah, that's coming up for you that you're especially excited? I mean, what is the most exciting thing in your business right now? Uh, it's, a, it's a great question. You know, I, uh, I think philosophically sometimes about my business. Like, is my goal to be as big as possible? you know, bigger is better in this society, or is my goal to help people where they are? And uh, almost like a teacher, right, who every year there's 30 new students arriving and the potential and the excitement and what will be 
taught it gives me a thrill every day you know i'll meet with three four five sets of clients and be as energized by the end of the day as i was at the beginning of the day because i'm doing what i love i'm helping people in a very personal space um, that said, I love business growth, and I'm now working with a large company in, in Niagara with seven branches who they want me to be their financial literacy partner for their employees. Um, so this is a, a bit trend I think we'll see more and more of where large organizations are more broadly defining the term employee wellness. Uh, you know, we've had EAPs and a lot of, you know, employee support types of programs out there for many, many years, but financial wellness has been, for the most part, ignored. Um, this company, again, very progressive, sits down with me, love what you do. Could you do it for our employees? Could you be the go-to? Could you provide a discounted rate? Could you do lunch and learns across our seven different offices? And of course, I love that, right? I mean, I love teaching, educating, presenting, and so uh, we're striking a pretty exciting uh, deal in the next couple of weeks to uh, to to do exactly that. Congrats! This is awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> that's a, that's a really cool development. So, uh, so Trevor, um, you know, before we wrap up, I usually ask those two questions. So, um, this podcast is all about growing your practice. So, do you have any parting words of wisdom for the listeners? I, I do, and uh, you know, I I know I've built something fairly unique, and I and I'm asked quite frequently, like, what is it that I've done that maybe others could 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 replicate or, or do themselves? And I, I, it really starts, I'll say this, share, ask, and give. So share, um, I share a ton. I share a ton of content. I blog. I do my money coaching minutes every Monday morning, uh, which are all on my website. I have never uh, hesitated to share great advice to anyone who was open to listening. I had one person say, but you're giving it all away for free. And then I was talking to a consultant who said, oh my goodness, what you're doing is best in class. You need to be the resident expert because people need the customized advice. And so if you share, they will come. Um, ask is my second word, right? Share, ask, give. Ask is ask for feedback. Ask, how am I doing? Ask, am I meeting the need? Uh, can you imagine something else I could do better, right? Never stopping to improve yourself, I think, is important for all of us professionally. And then give, right? Give generously of, of time. Um, I sometimes go over on client meeting time, and we do 20, 25 minutes more because they're asking lots of great questions. Again, I don't hesitate to give more than what people expect, and that helps exceed expectations, build even more business, create a very, you know, happy and advocating clients. And, uh, and that kind of education towards empowerment approach is one that seems to be resonating um, so well with my clients. So, I, you know, I, I feel very fortunate that I was in a position to start something new. Uh, my parents would say that I was always an entrepreneur. My grandfather was a huge inspiration of mine as the only other self-employed person in my family who was a huge financial literacy partner of mine growing up. He founded Densmore Tool and Die on the same street that I'm on right now in St. Catharines oh God. back in oh 1958. So, wow. And he died in 2010, the year I started my money coaching business. So there's lots of very, for me, kind of hair-raising uh, realities in terms of why I'm doing what I'm doing, where I'm doing it. And it just makes me feel like this is what I'm called to do. That's awesome. You are doing something amazing. And this advice is share, ask, give, 
And if you share, they will come. is is fantastic, and I'm sure that a lot of people can learn from this. So, uh, Trevor, I mean, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, maybe another organization, large organization, thinking about our employees or somebody else, how would they do that? What's the best way to reach you? And the best way is through my website, NiagaraRegionMoneyCoaches.com. There's lots of content there, and my contact button, of course, is the best way to reach me. Wonderful. So we'll link it to the, up in the show notes and we'll have it there. So Trevor, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really enjoyed it. That was awesome. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I appreciate it. Take care. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. And that's it for this episode. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at podcast at snapprojections.com. And if you're enjoying the show and want more of the amazing guests sharing incredibly valuable knowledge, head over to iTunes and leave us a great review, which helps us get discovered. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.